Darren Adam on LBC. Good morning, it's LBC Leading Britain's Conversation. I'm Darren Adam with you till four o'clock this morning. It is Tuesday the 8th of November, which means many things, but it also means that the day that I've had in my mind as still being months away is finally here because we've been talking about it for much of this year, haven't we? Simon Marks, LBC's Washington correspondent. It is midterm day um, in the USA. And I think maybe we just start, Simon, by zooming back just a tiny little bit because these elections, they're broadly speaking America's parliamentary elections, aren't they? This is about choosing the legislators and the senators, obviously not about choosing the president. Uh, yes, that's correct. And you are also correct, Darren. We have finally made it. It does feel <laughs> as though we've been talking about this. And indeed, we have been talking about this pretty much well, since quite. the moment Joe Biden arrived in office. Um, uh, so what's at stake in these elections? Uh, well, the entire House of Representatives and one third of the Senate is on the ballot. In 36 of America's 50 states, they're choosing governors, so the keys to the governor's mansions are up for grabs. And then all over the country, uh, there are a whole host of local elections and individual ballot initiatives that are going to make decisions for local communities that, frankly, we're not going to pay very much attention to. We are going to pay most of our attention to what happens on Capitol Hill. You mean, you mean, Simon, we're not going to discuss the political uh, colour of the dog catcher in Des Moines? Fascinated, <laughs> though, I'm sure you are, with whether the people of Washington, D.C. back Proposition 82, uh, which will determine the extent to which restaurant staff are going to be able to pay be paid an affordable wage within Washington, D.C. That is not the edge-of-the-seat nail-biter uh, okay. on an international scale. The edge-of-the- seat nail biter and it genuinely is one this time round on the edge uh, on the national scale is whether Joe Biden's going to be reduced to the status of a lame duck for what he hopes is still uh, only uh, the first term that he's going to experience in the White House for the next two years of that first term and also very clearly what is at stake here mm. is a temperature check I mean we're going to be getting a temperature check on the health of American democracy and one would have have to say that with more than 300 Republican candidates for national office, that's more than 50% of the Republicans seeking seats in the House of Representatives and the Senate embracing Donald Trump's entirely false claims uh, and conspiracy theories, not just about the 2020 presidential election, but more broadly about the sanctity and legitimacy of America's electoral system, that when Joe Biden says... Uh, democracy is on the ballot mm. and if the country isn't careful it's going to take a step down the path to chaos that's almost certainly not hyperbole and so these are all important elections one because they're going to determine the makeup of congress and whether joe biden can get anything done in what could still be the remaining two years of his only term in the white house and two uh, whether in any way this country is indicating that it wants to take a step back from the edge of the abyss over which American mm. electoral democracy is absolutely hanging. And so there are two big reasons why these midterms matter more than other uh, presidential first-term midterms, if you will, uh, because Barack Obama had a terrible set of midterms first time round. So did Bill Clinton. So did Ronald Reagan, for that matter. The two differences here, I guess. One, as you've alluded to, so many of these individual legislators or governors even might end up in positions of power while 
hewing so accurately to the mistruths told by Donald Trump about his non-election victory. That's one reason why this matters. The other reason, of course, is that unlike the other presidents that I've mentioned there, Joe Biden is almost 80, and he'll be 82 when, if and when he seeks re-election. Yeah, and there's another difference between uh, the situation now and the situations faced by presidents in the past who lost ground in midterm elections, and that that's, that is that they didn't have a gadfly leader of the opposition uh, over their shoulders. They didn't have Donald Trump in the background. And as much as these elections are going to be a referendum on Joe Biden's time in office, and they will be determinative, I think, uh, in making the decision as to whether he can seek another four-year term in office. I mean, last week the White House let it be known that planning meetings have begun uh, behind the White House walls with the First Lady and the President consulting their uh, advisers on what a re-election can campaign would look like. I mean, frankly, that's bravado, this side of the midterm elections, because they know that these election results could deliver them an absolute blow that means that Joe Biden, uh, as soon as the results become clear, is under enormous pressure to say, well, I'm not going to seek a second term in, in the White House, and, and I will pass the chalice on to someone else, and they can have a, a crack in 2024. But as much as this is a referendum on him... It's also a referendum on Donald Trump. You know, there is no... You, you talked about these being almost like parliamentary elections. Yeah. There is, of course, no leader of the opposition in the United States. None of... No one listening to this has ever lived through a period where a president of the United States has constantly ha had to worry about his predecessor yeah. and the role that his predecessor is playing in American society as he attempts to build and perhaps within a matter of days launch yeah. an attempted comeback and an attempt to get back into the Oval and, Office. And those, that concept of there being an opposition leader, we talk about the minority leaders, don't we, in the House? We talk about the leaders of the party that aren't in the majority in, in Congress. That's as close as we get to the idea of a Keir Starmer, if you will. Yeah, because, um, because no one for a second imagines that Kevin McCarthy, the Republican yes. leader in the House of Representatives, is a viable presidential candidate. Well, so and that, he's not considered the to be the, the, the leader of the opposition. The parallel here, I guess, is with Boris Johnson. Um, well, I, I suppose that is true. Yes, that is true. That is the parallel. I mean, Boris Johnson there in Sharm el-Sheikh uh, on the very day that Rishi Sunak is there. Uh, and, and to some extent, um, you've, you, you've drawn a, a parallel there between the United States and the UK in the modern iteration. Yes. Although there have been, I mean, clearly in the past, efforts by uh, political leaders in the UK to try and chart political comebacks that haven't always uh, worked. And you can lose an election... And you can continue to lead your party in the UK, whereas here the tradition is that if you lose the election, it is highly unlikely, you know, what F. Scott Fitzgerald's first uh, famous uh, uh, aphorism that there are no second acts in American public life. Well, I mean, Donald Trump already has proved that that's not the case because, first of all, he was a successful businessman, then he became president of the United States. Now he's actually trying to prove that you can have a third act in American public life uh, by planning to launch this comeback which people around him say is uh, possibly going to be announced as early as November the 14th. I mean, I think there's a bit of bravado there as well because yeah. they're going to need to scrub these election results in detail to see how Trump-backed candidates fared. And they're also going to have to keep half an eye in the Trump camp on the Department of Justice. 
Is Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, going to authorise the criminal prosecution of Donald Trump? And if he is, how quickly after this election is over might that action come? There's a bit of a jockeying for time here. Does Donald Trump declare his candidacy before Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice make their move? What is the sequencing of all of that? That's going to be the next big story we're covering. We aren't surely in a position where the Justice Department would be fearful of charging Trump if they have the evidence to do so because he might run again as president. There isn't any suggestion, is there, that that would felt to that would be felt to be unreasonably political or an unreasonably political decision that politics would get in the way of justice no well they've been very clear about it actually because they said that they would not charge donald trump or any senior figures within his inner circle within a 60 day window of the November election. So once we got to September the 9th, uh, we kind of knew that there were not going to be criminal charges brought against Donald Trump until at least November the 9th. Uh, But they could theoretically be brought on November the 9th or very rapidly thereafter. And, you know, how does one read the minds of uh, Merrick Garland and these Department of Justice investigators? But they may want to bring action against him before he declares himself a candidate for the presidency, and there might be a very, very narrow window for doing that. Okay, um, let's turn to what we expect to happen in as much as we can predict with any kind of confidence. The Democrats had, uh, well, their tails were up, I think it's fair to say, over the course of the summer because the horror that so many voters felt about the overturning of Roe v. Wade by a very Trumpy, very Republican Supreme Court was felt to play into Democrat hands. It was felt that Democrats who maybe hadn't voted or had been a bit apathetic in recent years would go to the polls in November. That, that Those upturned tails have sunk a little bit, I think it's fair to say, because it's the economy stupid and this is not a great economy in in America. The party and power of the party in the White House gets the blame. Taking us to, and tell me if we're still in this position, Simon, an expectation that the House will fall to the Republicans. The Senate is on a knife edge and that's a toss-up. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I mean, I see that the Cook Political Report tonight, which is a highly regarded uh, political newsletter here in Washington, D.C., is projecting that the Republicans can expect to have a majority in the House of Representatives of between three at the thin end of the wedge and 30 at the thick end of the wedge. But they don't uh, have any modelling that suggests the Democrats can retain control of the House of Representatives. And that's consistent Mm. with other polling and other surveys and forecasts that have been published for now for for several weeks here uh, the senate though absolutely is on a knife edge and again you're absolutely right if you spool back to sort of uh, april or may of this year mm. i mean it looked like there was going to be a republican landslide in both houses so certainly biden and the democrats have improved their position in those uh, intervening months partly due to the galvanising and mobilisation of uh, grassroots Democrats and particularly suburban women voters over the issue of abortion rights, although that hasn't gone as far as the Democrats, I think, initially hoped it would, because as an issue, it has become eclipsed by anxieties over the economy and a fundamental disconnect between the White House and voters. Joe Biden says, in his words, that the US economy is strong as hell. 
Well, if you're shopping in a supermarket or filling your car or checking the value of your 401k retirement fund, you absolutely don't feel that the economy is strong as hell. And there are millions of voters out there that say this is our number one issue. We don't Abortion rights, uh, climate change, defending democracy, all of that takes a backseat to the very parlous state of the American economy. Interest rates rising every single time the Fed open market. Markets Committee meets, mortgages, as you know in the UK as well, becoming harder and harder uh, to countenance as the mortgage rate soars. You know, in historic terms, it would be very, very difficult for Joe Biden and the Democrats to get out from underneath the weight of that problem. And we may well find that this election is no stranger to historic trends in that regard. And maybe if those midterms had been three months ago, the Democrats would have held both uh, chambers. They'd have held the Senate and the House narrowly. Maybe if they'd been held in six months from now, things will have turned around. Uh, So in, in that sense, I suppose the Democrats can claim that they are the victim as much of timing as their own policies let's let's fantasize a little bit so we're not fantasize let's um <laughs> let, let's let's go off on a flight of fancy if you if you will a counterfactual by definition because it hasn't happened yet if we end up in a position where the results are bad enough for the democrats and for joe biden to say well i'm not going to run again i'm going to put in place a process that that starts to select my uh, replacement for the nomination in 2024 and that process is open and transparent and off and running is there a possibility that as that happens on the republican side you've got donald trump and ron DeSantis primarying them each other to death um in a in a in a bloodbath that actually benefits the democrats Uh, Yes, although the Democrats are also going to have a free-for-all on their hands because, remember, this is not a party that is likely to coalesce around an agreed coronation of Kamala Harris as Joe Biden's successor in the White House. But absolutely, uh, as much as we expect uh, Donald Trump to declare his candidacy for the presidency, we also expect Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida to do the same. I think he's got to be careful with timing. I mean, it is pretty difficult to run for the position of Florida governor to run for re-election, as Ron DeSantis has done, um, and then very rapidly after winning it to say, well, actually, I don't really want that job at all. I'm I'm ready to move on to the White House. So I think there has to be a bit of a decent interval of time before he uh, throws his hat into the ring. Um, The other uh, point to make is that Ron DeSantis won't be the only Republican uh, who challenges Donald Trump. I think you've got to keep a very close eye on Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, a man who proved when he became governor of Virginia that you can actually attract the support of the uh, Trump uh, grassroots without attaching yourself like a barnacle to the former president and some of the more extreme conspiracy theories that he espouses. And there will, of course, be other Republicans. We know Mike Pompeo fancies a run, Nikki Haley, the former US ambassador Mm. to the United Nations. And what of Mike Pence, the former vice president? Is he going to throw his hat in the ring? He's certainly been out there on the campaign trail during the course of these midterm elections. So the Republicans will absolutely, I think, tear themselves apart in a bid to try and stop Donald Trump from securing the nomination. But on the Democratic side of the aisle, it's going to be very complicated as well. And briefly, if Joe Biden does say now or now-ish that he's not going to run again, can he 
govern? I mean, does it take the pressure off, in a sense? If he essentially says, I am a caretaker between now and the next election, we've got a process in place for someone else who is going to have the nomination, it won't be me. Is that realistic? Is that possible? Well, it is possible. I mean, there are other factors, though, that one has to take into account because if he's lost both houses of Congress, to some extent, he can't govern either. Yeah. I mean, if he's up so he against, might as well say. I mean, if he's up against Republican majorities in both the House and the Senate, um, he can govern through executive order. Um, he can attempt to find some common ground on those very narrow areas where that might be possible. But broadly, uh, he will have achieved everything that he can possibly achieve. So he's a lame duck under either set of circumstances. Now, the pressure on Joe Biden from the younger cadre of Democrats, who remember in uh, uh, 2020 were denied the opportunity to become Uh, the presidential nominee for the Democratic Party, because when Joe Biden decided to enter the election, Mm. um, he became the immediate favourite. I mean, he almost didn't win the nomination, but he essentially put the the rest of the Democratic Party in aspic once he won the nomination. So you have this this, um, unresolved battle between people like Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar and Cory Booker, a whole host of younger Democrats that want to prove their mettle and are simply not going to go along with a situation where Joe Biden, as he may be tempted to say, suggests, you know, even maybe in six months' time that he's decided not to run for the presidency and he's going to hand uh, the the nomination uh, for 2024 over to Vice President Kamala Harris while staying in office. I think that's going to be an unsustainable position for him to take. Simon, I can't imagine that we won't be talking again in around 24 hours, so for now, get some (laughs) sleep. Indeed so, (laughs) Simon Marks, LBC's Washington correspondent, joining me this morning about 24 hours ahead of the midterms. We've not even touched really on the fact that 41 million Americans have already voted, uh, but we'll see how all that fits together when we talk to Simon and various other contributors uh, over the next 24 hours or thereabouts here on LBC.